and welcome to episode 203 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm Weishan and I've got Tony with me today. Hey, Tony, how are you? Very tired, Weishan. Very tired. You know, it's 11, 11.40 p.m. my time here. It's tiring, but, that, but I'm, I'm here for my audience. I'm here for the fans of the Waveland <laughs> podcast. Fortunately, though, uh, as I understand it, they don't have to listen to me too much today that we uh, thankfully and mercifully have a guest on today. Yes. Also, I give you the chance to speak with me, you know, at uh, 10, 1030, 11, 1130, oh, or 1140. No. Well, listen, I so our for subscribers of Waters Technology and even non-subscribers, actually, maybe something that's interesting. I wasn't actually planning on talking about this, but a little preview of something that we're working on. Uh, I was putting together the final, I don't know, blueprint or whatever for we're going to start these surveys that we're going to be sending out um, geared towards software engineers and data scientists um, about kind of the programming languages that they use, stuff like that. Um, obviously, there are a lot of these kind of surveys that exist in the world, but you know, Waters Technology, we have a very specific remit and our readers are a very specific kind of reader for the most part. Um, they're in, you know, the wholesale institutional capital markets. Mm -hmm. So they have different, they have different needs um, in, in some areas. So this will be kind of trying to figure out what they have. So I was putting that together, uh, just sent that over to Duncan, um, who's my boss, uh, the global editorial director of all of InfoPro or our, our insight division and uh and then i went through and uh we have a big event coming up a three-week event in virtual event in september and i had to go through and put like data tagging kind of stuff for this ai thing that we're going to be using i'm not 100 percent sure as to what it was <laughs> so we'll see how good of a job i did <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's why 1140. Some of the most of you won't care about any of that. So why, why don't we talk about uh, about uh, about our our guest this week? Actually, got a really good one. One of my uh, one of my favorite people to speak with. Yeah. So this week we have a guest on, and his name is Gabriel Colombo. He you may bet you may know him better as the founder and executive director of the fintech open source foundation better known as finos so he comes on and uh, speaks with me about uh, open source and how the perception and attitude that capital markets used to have about open source how that has changed from that time um and you know a little bit he gives me some insight to what finos is planning down the line and um, some really interesting stuff so yeah yeah he's always one of the good ones to talk with so uh yeah you Thankfully, you don't, all don't have to listen to me ramble on about data tagging and, uh, <laughs> and programming surveys. You already have rambled on a little bit. Yeah, about that. Yep. Mm. Okay, well, wait, without oh, wasting oh. too much time. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's jump straight to my conversation with Gab here. And uh, we'll be back next week. Till then. See you next week. And this week we are joined by Gabriel Colombo, founder and executive director for the FinTech Open Source Foundation, better known as Finos. How are you, Gab? I'm really good. Thanks for having me here. It's good to have you on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to get some social interaction in this in this quarantine time. So thank <laughs> you. Yes, and across different time zones as well. I'm glad that it's uh, yeah we can do this. Yep. That's one of the things that, that you, we can keep on doing. Talking across the ocean uh, uh, hasn't changed much during this, this quarantine, is it? Yeah, yeah it hasn't. Oh, uh, maybe earlier we were just talking a little bit about, uh, you know, how you, well, first we talked about your hair, but uh, maybe we can talk about that too. Uh, um, and, and Tony, my, uh, my co-host, will be jealous because... Well, he doesn't have any hair. On his head. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't set me on the on the right foot, does it? <laughs> Not with him, but yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, earlier today, actually, you were the, you gave the keynote at the Open Source Summit. Do you want to maybe uh, tell us about a little bit about what uh, you spoke about there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been uh, a really interesting uh, keynote. I was very very uh, glad to be able to share uh, the vision of Phenos and really what we achieved over you know our relatively short history. We're only two years into being Finos uh, with the broader open source community. You know, for me as a as a, an open source fanboy, but most importantly, I've been born and bred in the open source community. Uh, it was really important to uh, uh, share, again, the, the growth that we have experienced over the last few years, the massive opportunities that there are in open source in the financial services industry and, and again if you think about historically this is an industry that has not done a lot of open source uh, we have some of the biggest names in the industry and and of course finos uh, you know also leaves uh, a, a reflected light of these these major brands that that uh, participate to finos but generally, these are companies that especially historically did not have such a major presence in mainstream open source communities, mm -hmm. you know, major projects like Linux, Kubernetes, Node. There's a lot of consumption, but there's not contribution. And so I think the biggest message that I wanted to, uh, I think the biggest two messages that I wanted to share this morning were, hey, look, open source in financial services is happening. Uh, it's not just consumption, it is contribution. Think about the Goldman Sachs alloy contribution, thinks about the JP Morgan perspective contribution. And I think the second uh, major point was that this is a, an, op an opportunity for everyone. Uh, this is not just, you know, we never wanted this to be, uh, you know, a big boys club. Uh, uh, this is not just for banks. This is not just for the buy side. This is even not just for fintech companies. Uh, there is a huge opportunity for tech companies. There is a huge opportunity, we think, for regulators uh, to improve the regulatory process. And ultimately, you know, as an open source community, I think there is a major opportunity for any individual contributor to participate uh, to our open source community because, you know, ultimately, we all live downstream of the financial services complex and, and any improvement that we can bring in that technology through open source will turn into you know, a better user experience and we hope much more transparency uh, through and through in the system. And so those were really the two messages. We are here and, and we're ready to contribute and come and join us because this is a, a big opportunity for everyone. Yep, and that and that is exactly what uh, I would like to talk to you about today is how banks basically are getting more involved with open source uh, technologies and both using and contributing more. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Finos or what Finos is up to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. You know, the, the, the capital markets view of open source has changed quite a bit since, you know, the time of uh, Sergey Alenikov. Yes. And, <laughs> and perhaps we can, you know, we can start with, with that, you know, how that was once, how it was once considered taboo for banks to either say that they're using it or, you know, uh, or actually use it to now yeah. something that they constantly, <clears throat> they constantly play with and uh, they, yeah, they're involved. So, yeah. yeah. It's been, uh, um, I think there is, a, you know, like in any major change, um, you know, sh major shift in, in paradigms, there's always two um, sort of levels to the answer in my mind. And, and you're absolutely right. We are seeing a massive increase, uh, almost exponential. I Unfortunately, everyone is, is very familiar now with exponential curves uh, nowadays for, for the wrong reason. But truly, uh, we have seen over the last two years uh, an incremental exponential growth uh, in terms of, of contribution and participation. And uh, I think going back to, to your question, there are, as I said, two um, always two ways to answer the question. There's one was this, you know, there's always an underlying set of reasons that are, uh, uh, you know, really 
aligning the drivers towards these big shifts in, in technology. And then there's always a, a spark, you know, a something, a trigger that, that really gets the ball rolling. And I think in our case, um, the, you know, underlying conditions, even just from 10 years ago, as you mentioned, the, 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 the case uh, uh, at Goldman was, you know, pretty much in the news at the time. Um, but I think there are sort of three main reasons why we have seen uh, this major shift. Um, look, margins are nowhere nearly where they were 10 years ago, uh, both in terms of the top line and in terms of the increased regulatory costs. So if you sort of translate that to the amount of technology spend that these firms have, um, there's simply not enough or there's simply not an infinite amount of money to throw at every technology problem. And so I think generally this is, I would say the main reason why uh, uh, definitely the technology organization is looking at uh, open source as a way to mutualize costs on non-competitive pieces of software. Um, of course, there's, you know, there's a cultural change that is happening. And I think that enabled uh, uh, you know, this process to happen. So, look, it's a generational change, uh, first and foremost, uh, but it's also, you know, this mandate for each company, financial institution, to become a technology company. W what does that mean? You know, this whole digital transformation, but practically what that means is that you have to adapt your processes and the way you build technology to be able to attract the best talent and you know i'm a little older here but the newer generation is born and bred in github they that's all they know that's how they are creating their own portfolios that's how they're creating their careers and so i think a fundamental element of the digital transformation here is that banks more and more need to attract in order to attract top talent they need to be true players in the open source, not just marketing wise, not just saying that you're gonna do open source or contribute a couple of projects out there. They really need to embrace the culture of being a good open source citizen. Um, and so I think, again, back, back to your question, there's technology and there's cultural reasons, mm. but we're also seeing the business. I mean, most of the two, those, those, so I would say technology starts from the reduction of cost. The business starts from you know, we need to attract more talent. Uh, there's a third angle, which is a more complicated one, which is again, how do we, you know, a big example for us is the regulatory process. How do we make that more efficient in the constant sort of fight between regulation and deregulation? We think that open source can provide sort of the level of transparency. Uh, and so I think, again, the, I would say the third reason is the, the sort of potential to involve regulators in a much more streamlined process. I think that's a third sort of big pillar of, of this change and switch that you're seeing. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe before we get into, into that, uh, particularly with the regulate, uh, regulatory stuff, um, you know, you mentioned, yeah, now banks need to become good open source citizens. Yes. You know, what, what do you mean by that? And what is, how do you classify a good open source citizen? Absolutely. Maybe talk me through the profile of this, uh, if you yeah. can call it a person. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think, um, look, it's much easier. And again, here the answer is, it's much easier to be an open, a good open source citizen as an individual. Uh, yeah. As a corporation, uh, you come with strings attached. And that's perfectly okay. Um, foundations like ours exist in large part exactly to provide that independent, neutral, level playing field, whether you are, you know, Goldman Sachs, whether you're Google, or whether you are an individual in your office, foundations like us provide that, you know, independent governance and the transparency that in principle allows everyone to participate uh, to an open source project. So just kind of going back to your question, as an individual, it's really about following the etiquette of open source, if you want. It means being transparent. It means being respectful. It means having the culture of being a doer 
uh, open source communities are community of doers rather than you know sort of you need to change your mindset from the pyramidal uh, expectations that you have in an organization uh, and most of the times you gotta get stuff done yourself uh, it's much more powerful to if you're familiar with github to to raise a pull request rather than an issue an issue is just a request for fixing something a pull request actually provides the solution for what you like to see fixed so just that's what github really enabled the communities to grow uh, through this workflow so as an individual i would say it's mostly you got to be qualified and you got to behave according to the guidelines that an open source project uh, uh, brings forward as a corporate uh, it's a much more complex conversation. And I think baseline, I'll just mention, you know, three items here because we yep. could probably have a, a hour conversation just on that. Um, but I think in order to be an open source, a good open source citizen, you should, um, and, and to be clear, before I get into that, in order, being an open source citizen doesn't mean only delivering or behaving according to the open source uh, uh, mantra. These are all things that uh, are going to deliver value back to you as a corporation if properly done. And let me uh, explain what I, what I mean by that. Um, consuming open source is great. It's a great step. But contributing back to upstream is what you expect from any corporate contributors. Um, that's why we're doing a lot of work over the last four years to enable all the banks to be able to contribute back. Let's be clear, this doesn't only add value to the open source project, but allows a firm to have a much lower total cost of ownership for that piece of code. Because imagine if you, are, if you end up having to manage your own copy of an open source project because you cannot contribute back enhancement or bug fixes that you've done to that project, while you're basically ending up having to maintain your own project, uh, which negates a lot of the benefits of, of participating to open source communities and the open source community evolving the project for you, quote unquote. Uh, so I think contribution is the first point. And the second one is um, more you know, governance related is you have to foster diversity uh, and by that, I mean diversity from a corporate standpoint. So more different contributors from different organizations to the same project. And of course, individual diversity. We are doing a lot of work in making sure that our community is representative of uh, uh, minorities. Um, but from a corporate standpoint, a healthy open source project has contributors from multiple organizations, oftentimes even competitors. And that's, I think, what becomes hard in a highly competitive and siloed industry uh, like financial service. And that's where, you know, where we play a key role. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, during this this uh, this time uh, in lockdown, I guess, uh, you know, uh, ha have there been new drivers of uh, adoption and use of open source, particularly now? And um, is there a difference between the buy side and how, how the buy side and sell side use open source? Yes. So to your first question, I would say, well, the general answer beyond financial service is that, yes, open source has stepped up like probably never seen before to help with the pandemic. Um, the Linux Foundation just announced the uh, NLF public health uh, uh, um, initiative. Uh, we have seen, I don't know, a plethora, I, I couldn't even name the number of open source projects that got spun up from one day to another to build contact tracing apps, open source ventilators, uh, you know, all sort of, again, technologies that will help in the pandemic. But bringing it more specifically to financial services, um, I think rather than uncovering new areas of collaboration, um, I think those areas were there before and will be there after the pandemic. Uh, I think what the pandemic has helped with is reducing even further the friction of 
financial service institutions specifically to participate in open source communities. I mean, let's be clear until five years ago, uh, a developer at you know any bold bracket bank of your choice probably wasn't able to access github.com because of compliance restrictions and because of uh, uh, you know the perceived cultural issues with open source. Uh, of course, I wanna I wanna say that Finos made a lot of inroads in helping them to be to be successful at doing that. But we're far from, you know, if you take a developer at Google or at Facebook, they have virtually no friction in contributing to open source. The process is clear. Oftentimes, they do it during their day job. Uh, they're paid for it. Their, the incentive structures are aligned. They have an open source program office. So there's still a lot that this industry needs to go through to basically be a seamless, efficient, strategic open source contributor. Uh, and what I think the pandemic has helped with as a small silver lining, um, you know, we are seeing now entire workforces uh, working from home. Uh, some of the, I would say, only remaining strongholds of working from the office, you know, traders and mm -hmm. uh, trading floors. Um, this pandemic has actually drastically accelerated, you know, and showed to many of these organizations, look, ain't that bad actually to work from home. From a productivity standpoint, we kept productivity. From a systems standpoint, you know, there's been some hiccups here and there, but we haven't seen any major breakdown of those infrastructures and or even major security leaks uh, uh, to date. And so I think at least what we've seen in this first couple of months is that, you know, that really plays into the game of being able to access, you know, best of breed open source infrastructure like GitHub, like GitLab, like, you know, common, uh, 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 arenas and forums where open source is being developed. So I think if there is any, to your question, uh, specific effect that COVID brought to open source in financial services is really removing uh, frictions much faster for individual developers to be able to contribute. Um, jumping onto your second question, uh, uh, between sell side and buy side. Um, it is undeniable that we have been historically a sell side uh, led foundation. We have a very strong representation, although we have uh, uh, contributions from, you know, the likes of BlackRock, of Alliance Bernstein, uh, you know, certainly whilst they're not uh, members and they are certainly a big target for membership, uh, um, they, we've had both contribution and adoption of our technologies from the buy side. Um, I want to say that um, whilst potentially the sell side has, it may be more inherent or compelling sort of tactical value proposition for doing open source, meaning, uh, uh, you know, they are on the sell side, they're trying to reach a bigger network, they are trying to make sure that their customers have sort of a, an as easy as possible interoperable customer experience. So that's your typical, you know, sort of strategic reason why you embark into common standards, common APIs, common open source code to really expand the reach of your ecosystem. I actually argue that the buy side would have probably even bigger benefits by having a leadership position in Finos and help us define these standards. And even how APIs you know, across potentially imagine the various single dealer platforms that could actually, uh, uh, you know, deliver a substantial long-term value to the buy side. Of course, it's a much harder process and it's a longer term goal, uh, but it is our belief that, uh, um, you know, the buy side should take a, a sort of a leadership role in the foundation. We are constantly uh, working towards that goal. So why why is there I, I guess maybe some hesitation from from the buy side, and you know what are you doing? What is Finos doing to encourage more buy side members to join? 
So I think, um, I think it's a combination of a couple of things and then I'll tell you what we're doing. Um, I think generally, I would argue that the buy side for my experience has uh, um, a degree of engineering readiness and engineering savviness when it comes to open source um, that is potentially higher than what I've seen in, in, on the sell side. And that means if you think about the work that we've done with several of the financial institutions over the last four years, um, which has been really get them able to contribute before they actually started contributing, which is something that, you know, in, over the last two years, we saw a major pickup. Um, but I don't deny that a big value proposition for Finos, especially early in the days was, well, we can help you in this process. We can help you uh, setting up your infrastructure, setting up your policies, talking to your executives as to why you should be doing open source. And I would argue that actually firms like, for example, uh, Two Sigma or, or uh, um, um, State Street, uh, or sorry, Jane Street, uh, um, they actually are already leaders in other open source communities. And so they might see a little bit less the compelling value on the open source readiness because they already know how to do it. They already are leaders in those open source communities. Um, where I think the real value for the buy side lies, it's not really in the technology enablement, is in the business uh, level type collaborations that we're having within Finos. And that goes to one of the initiatives that we think we're seeing driving much more buy-side attention right now. Um, as you probably know, in November 2019, Goldman Sachs contributed the Alloy platform. Yep. Uh, the contribution is actually still ongoing. But in the meanwhile, we have hosted uh, uh, an instance of Alloy under the hospices of Finos with, again, the idea of creating a neutral place where banks could start collaborating on data models, banks and buy side, obviously. Uh, what we rapidly have seen being this tooling so advanced and so powerful is that organically, um, business folks have started coalescing around certain areas of interest. So we have a working group, for example, on uh, FX options, working with the ISDA, with the folks back at ISDA uh, uh, to make some changes to the uh, uh, international standard for derivatives model, to the common domain model. Um, we are seeing uh, a group working on RFQs. We're seeing a group working on uh, commodity and swaps. Um, uh, so what I'm going with this is, the Finos value proposition is a combination of value for the technology organization and value for the business organization. Now with platforms like Alloy, we have an easy way to bring in business folks collaborating directly on specific business problems rather than on a technology challenge. Mm. We think that there is where we want to have the buy side take a very active role in helping us defining how the standards, these data models, and these APIs should look like. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in, in, in that process, I mean, uh, how are you, uh, I guess, talking to the buy side and in, in terms of them, maybe starting a project or, uh, uh, starting a project with you guys, how, how is that going? I, the conversations this year have been much more, uh, um, concrete, I would say that in the previous year and, and previous years. And in fact, you know, uh, of course, w w I'm starting from the ones who were already members of Finos in the past. So the Citadels and the Blackrocks uh, of the world. Um, in fact, Blackrock is also a uh, Linux Foundation gold member, which, as you know, we joined the Linux Foundation about two months ago. Um, I think the uh, value proposition of Finos is sinking in more and more in these firms. And we're certainly having now conversations that bring together 
again, both the technology and the business side in these firms. Um, I would say, you know, I, I'm not going to mention all the names, but I would say I have at least five active conversations with buy-side firms, uh, you know, that are at more or less uh, sort of degrees, uh, at different degrees of, of maturity. Um, but certainly the, the feedback has been uh, more positive and certainly us joining the Linux Foundation uh, as an, you know, even more sort of independent, third-party, recognized brand, um, you know, with the prospect of global expansion uh, is certainly something that is also uh, growing uh, our reach into that area of the industry. Okay, could you perhaps give me an example of a like specific business problems for the buy side that you know um, some of these potential projects could uh, uh, solve? Yeah. Yes, we have a really interesting project that is currently now being socialized um, that it's called Glue. Uh, it's a project that is being brought forward by our silver member EPAM. Uh, and the goal is really to develop a unified entity and data model for the buy side. Um, this is actually an existing platform that uh, EPAM has developed internally. EPAM is a, is a services company, it's a big consulting company. So they work with several uh, uh, you know, different parties. And over time, they've developed this uh, uh, platform. Uh, uh, and again, uh, um, it really, uh, um, you know, from our first feedback as we socialize with the community, could be very useful to, uh, uh, again, develop uh, uh, a unified entity and data model for the buy side. I'm actually going to send you the link, uh, if I can, to the presentation uh, and the webinar that we've done, um, because that, that really is a concrete project that, in fact, is not yet in Finos, we have this phase of formation where we, you know, allow our members to propose new projects and we can go around and socialize them. So that's exactly what we're doing uh, for them. I think abstracting it a little bit, going back to, to sort of the, the general topic, this is just one of the examples of where we think the buy side can participate, but they're generally mostly related to data standardization. Another example that we do have is our security reference data project. Uh, it's been co-led by uh, Nomura and AQR, so a sell side and a buy side. Although, you know, AQR is not necessarily sort of your standard buy side, but uh, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, and so it's a common thread that we're seeing across our projects where the buy side gets more engaged is actually when we have efforts to standardize something that it's clearly uh, and very uh, little efficiently duplicated and siloed across the different cell side firms. I guess you can maybe coming back to standardization. This is something that you're trying to do in your new initiative, which is open source FinRag, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're trying to build common data standards and platforms that uh, uh, for financial regulation technology. Maybe could you walk me through how that is going and uh, in terms of how you are speaking to regulators, you know, what has been the initial feedback from them? Yeah, so I think uh, let, let me caveat first that this is very early days as far as the open source financial regulation initiative goes. Yeah. Um, our goals this year are really A, to build awareness um, with the regulators and generally with the ecosystem that this is something that we can do and this is something that we can do hopefully differently from other industry consortia, leveraging open source as a very concrete element that we can collaborate on as opposed to sometimes, you know, lengthy discussions and, and bilateral conversations, uh, just really putting the transparency or, and, and the concreteness of open source code front and center. Um, but with that, with that caveat, building standards is certainly one of the, and probably one of the primary goals of that initiative because, you know, if you think about the regulatory process between legislation and 
uh, implementation and then enforcement, really the common trait is data. And if you look across the whole pipeline, whilst we acknowledge that building standard is complicated, we think that open source really adds that, again, that concreteness, that possibility of quickly trying and quickly iterating on a certain uh, standard that we're building. Uh, and we think that, again, generally, it's very inefficient where standards are not defined or not even mandated, I would say, um, you know, for a bank to do their own implementation and for a regulator to having to enforce slightly different flavors of the same regulation across different banks. And so, of course, data standardization is a really important part of it. But if we look forward, it's not just data. It is we think there's an opportunity to standardize APIs. We think there's a way even, uh, I mean, if you go back to the very nature of what we do, we collaborate on non-competitive intellectual property that typically shows common requirements for all the different parties in our industry. And that ultimately is hopefully gonna deliver uh, a cost saving. So if you put these three things together, it comes pretty natural that we should be looking at regulation because it's common requirements, it's typically non-competitive. And if we were to do it together, the actual implementation of a certain uh, 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 regulation, well, that will be cost saving because so much money is spent in regulatory implementation in each of the firms. So standards for sure, but I want to get to the point that we have actual open source common implementations of regulations. To which extent we'll be able to get the regulators to participate to that process? I think it remains to be seen. You know, they are hard to sort of bless publicly anything. Um, but we know that again, through tr the transparency that permeates everything that we do in the open, look, they can still go and look at our minutes or our project meetings without having to necessarily interact with us officially, but just learning how the sausage is made. And of course, I'm Italian, so that's going to be a pun forever. Uh, um, but <laughs> uh, so back to your final part of your, of your question is what the feedback has been. I think the first, the first comment is generally positive. We started from the very beginning. Really, this first conversation has been, have been what is open source and how it can be useful for you. And of course, that really depends on which regulator we're talking to. There are certain regulators that by their age and by their, their mandate, they are more open. And some of them, they already leverage open source. So they even have their open source GitHub organization, if you look around. Uh, and so for those, with those, we can already start having a, a, a more concrete conversation on, okay, how can we help you? How can we be your sort of open source platform, uh, open source enabler, probably better said. Um, and for others, we have at least started the conversation. I think that the initial reactions were still like, wait, 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 does that mean that if I open source the code, do I have to open source the data? Uh, no, <laughs> we're not talking about putting confidential data in a, in a common open repository. So I think, again, just synthetic answer to your question is um, the reaction is very much dependent as to where they are currently in their open source journey and understanding. But I've seen at least one in the US and one in, in the UK that know very well what we're talking about and actually you might see some collaboration uh, hopefully even before the end of the year and maybe to take a little bit of a step back and so like maybe talk about projects that uh, that are on on finos you know you classify them as either uh, incubating archive and active you know uh, could you maybe for the benefit of those who are maybe starting to learn about finos you know could you walk us through you know what that actually means Absolutely. And that's my, that's one of my pet projects. So very happy to, to talk about that. But um, yeah, the, the concept of a project life cycle is a very, it's a very important concept uh, across open source communities, especially those who are, you know, backed by a foundation like us. So if you go and look at the Apache Software Foundation, the Linux Foundation, anyone has this definition, this, this, concise 
label for a project to really demonstrate quickly to contributors and consumers what's the state of maturity, viability, and quality of a certain project primarily. And so probably each foundation has a slightly different flavor of what it means to be incubating versus active or graduated, uh, uh, is, as it's called in other foundations. But as far as we uh, look at it, uh, again, the main, think about this being a progression across, you know, multiple dimensions, dimensions being quality, maturity, and viability of the project. When a, every project comes in incubating in uh, Pinos, and therefore we try to not make the bar too high when it comes to incubation. That means that, of course, you need to have at least a basic you know, starting point for developers and contributors. So the build should be working, there should be some documentation, you really need to have some sort of easy on-ramp for developers, um, so the bare minimum. Uh, and of course, there has to be a team committed to maintaining the project and growing the project. We don't do dump and run type, type projects. Um, and then thirdly, from a, from a, again, a viability standpoint, of course, it needs to, you know, be targeted and solve the problem for this industry. And so those are typically the bars that we set uh, for incubation. Uh, the move to active is much harder. Um, we raise the bar in terms of the number of organizations that should be using the software, uh, the number of organizations, as I was saying before, in terms of diversity that contribute to a certain project. Um, basically, if you are the sole maintainer of a project, that project is not going to become active. You need to demonstrate that you have invited the community and you have invited other players that are putting sweat equity into developing that project. So I think that's actually diversity of contribution and consumption is probably the most key requirement for an active project. Um, all of the other requirements are really a lot of raising the bar more from a, a quality standpoint and a security standpoint. Of course, we are a financial services foundation, so we have some pretty key requirements in terms of uh, before we bless a project to be, you know, our crown jewels, like we refer to our our active projects. Uh, you know, we need we need we need to make sure that we we check those boxes. And then, of course, when a project is, you know, is uh, no longer actively developed or, you know, it's still viable, maybe it's completed its development, there's nothing else to do, uh, we always have the option to archive it, again, just to signal to the consumers that, hey, look, you can use this project, it's viable, is is okay but don't expect the community to you know, develop new features or be super responsive when a bug fix. So it's kind of a little bit like a way to signal you know, a long-term maintenance or, or a, 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 an end of life type status in, a, in your typical software project. Um, so that's, that's really what we do with the life cycle and we uh, are going to invest more and more in uh, sort of streamlining also the visibility and the support that we give to different projects depending on their status. Do you want me to mention a couple of projects? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think I think from a, from an active standpoint, um, you know, FTC three is definitely our sort of probably our older and bigger success to date. Um, the perspective project contributed from J by JP Morgan is also active and. I mean, from a from a code standpoint, is definitely the most active project that we have with over a thousand stars in GitHub. I am really excited about a couple of incubating projects that we have right now. Um, specifically, of course, the well, actually, Alloy is not even in incubation; it's still in formation, sort of in the pre-incubation phase. But certainly, Alloy is probably when it lands uh, later in the year, it's gonna be the largest contribution and amount of intellectual property in Finos. I'm particularly excited about the cloud service certification project because it really goes in the direction of the open source financial regulation initiative we just discussed. It's really about defining a common standard for public cloud deployments and having actual code 
to prove that, tests and code to prove that, rather than you know lengthy uh, uh, PDF documents to be reviewed by the regulators. Um, so as you can see, it's a pretty broad uh, a spectrum of projects. And of course, we recently had the uh, walls from Deutsche Bank and Data Hub from Citi. So again, they also deserve a shout out because especially for Citi, that was actually the first big contribution that they that they put forward. Okay. And, and earlier you mentioned that, I mean, just two months ago, you are now part of the Linux Foundation, right? Yep. So what does that mean for you and, and, uh, and how will you be expanding maybe to, you know, and what are some of your efforts maybe uh, in that space, maybe in Asia? Yeah, very good question. I mean, the, the first and foremost reason for us to join the Linux Foundation was to deliver increased value to the industry and of course to our members through a bigger and broader community you know open source is built on building on each other's achievements and so there was literally no reason to keep sort of fragmenting the community uh, between us and the linux foundation our missions are very aligned and uh, they have a huge uh, events and training machine, uh, things that candidly, you know, we can definitely use in this industry. And so part of that, as it pertains to the next 12, 18 months, was really to be able to even more focused on expanding the footprint of Finas. Uh, and as you mentioned, Asia, we are actively working to expand our membership base and the type of projects that we work on. Uh, to be even more appealing for the APAC region. Uh, in fact, Finos up to date has been, uh, you know, almost 50-50 split between uh, Europe and, and the United States in terms of membership. That also reflects on where I am uh, in <laughs> on the globe, of course, pre-pandemic. Uh, but if I look at my trips, they're probably half and half to, to London and New York. Again, we are now working very closely with the Linux Foundation, who has a very developed organization in Asia, especially with China, Korea, and Japan, uh, are definitely sort of the three areas where we are already in advanced conversation with uh, some large, both financial institutions as well as fintechs. As, as you know very well, there's a huge amount of innovation happening uh, in, in Asia. And I am actually particularly excited to, again, create this cross-pollination. I use this word a lot, but creating this cross-pollination between, again, uh, not only Europe and, and the US, who are generally closer to each other, even culturally, but creating this cross-pollination through open source as a level playing field with Asia, I am, I am particularly excited. The other slightly related angle, but very, very, I think, pertinent again to the Asian conversation is we are looking at expanding beyond investment banking. Uh, Finos has been created as you know, the foundation for open sourcing financial services. And whilst I can't share concrete examples yet, it's still confidential, but it's been in our uh, uh, vision to expand beyond investment banking into retail banking. And uh, of course, very similar problems that can be solved there through open source. Uh, not only because many of our members, they also have a retail arm and that will certainly help us expand our footprint within our members, but again, generally because problems are very similar. And I think the expansion towards Asia is going to sort of reinforce each other uh, with sort of the move to the, the expansion to retail and the expansion to Asia are likely going to reinforce each other as the innovation that is happening in the retail space in Asia is just simply amazing. Mm, okay. I, I know you can't go into too much detail, um, particularly on the retail side of things, but and so 
So you're looking at uh, China, Korea, and Japan. Yep. Maybe could you give me an example of, uh, I mean, catered to the investment banking community. You yep. know, what are some of the projects that uh, you know could be interesting? You know, that that will come on to Finos. Uh, Unfortunately, um, these are still uh, confidential conversations, so I can't necessarily share uh, what, what we're talking to with these firms. So uh, I'm sure we'll hear uh, from you again once uh, you're ready to share that. Um, so yeah, in the next 12 to 18 months, you know, in terms of like, uh, are you are you going to be adding more people on the ground uh, in Asia as well? That's a really good question, and uh, it I think it largely depends uh, on the growth that we experienced this year. Uh, I would say if we have maybe two or three platinum members or, or two platinum and a gold, I'm just, you know, counting in my mind, uh, we expect to have some degree of presence. For now, we are working through the Linux Foundation who does have local presence and we are working on a part-time basis with them. So actually already right now, technically Finos has some degree of local presence. And in fact, the folks in ABUC you know, are going to help us a lot with, you know, when you, the, the expansion from two to three time zones, when it comes to an open source, it, it's hard already for a product company to become in a, to become, you know, to follow a follow the sun model. But when it comes to an open source community where you're hosting, you know, online meetings throughout the world, it's going to be hard for someone at a certain point. <laughs> There's simply no way for UK US and you know Hong Kong to be on the same call at the same time without anyone losing their sleep. And so uh, the folks uh, from the LF APEC who has you know who have a lot of experience with very large scale projects like Hyperledger uh, or uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation and representing the members there in Asia, um, they're already. Uh, helping us a lot with with sort of bridging this gap. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, can't wait to hear more about that once uh once we're ready to talk about me it. Me too. Me too. As <laughs> soon as I'm ready. <laughs> Sorry, I, I hate to say no, but I better That's okay. <laughs> keep my mouth shut. My Italian mouth shut. <laughs> That's okay. We can always take this offline. But um... absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us again uh, for this week's podcast, Gab. It's really fun to have you on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, to the next time. Yes, till the next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>